You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Now, the fallout from the Greensill lobbying scandal is gathering pace, with the Labour leader Keir Starmer accusing the Conservatives of a return to the cronyism of the 1990s under John Major. The Greensill scandal is just the tip of the iceberg. Dodgy contracts, privileged access, jobs for their mates. This is the return of Tory sleaze. Now, another investigation is being launched into the role of David Cameron and his requests for ministers to support the now-collapsed financing firm Greensill. The Treasury Select Committee could also ask the former Prime Minister to give evidence and potentially hear from the Chancellor Rishi Sunak, who was approached by Cameron. Well, Boris Johnson says he shares the concerns around lobbying and why a civil servant was allowed to advise Greensill while he was still working for the government. Top civil servants should be able to engage with business and should have experience of the private sector. Uh, When I look at uh, accounts I'm reading today, it's not clear that those boundaries uh, have been properly understood. Well, the chair of the Advisory Committee on Business Appointments, Eric Pickles, has been being given a bit of a grilling today by MPs. In fact, he told the Public Administration Committee the system is in urgent need of reform, and he said, quotes, there did not appear to have been any boundaries at all. Well, joining us now is Drew Hendry, SNP MP for Inverness, Nairn, Bernock and Strathspey. Uh, Drew, welcome back to the programme. Thanks for being with us again. Sure. Do you think this, that what's been happening with Greensill, David Cameron, the civil service, does it amount to sleaze? Is that the right term for it? Well, I think everybody can see from the outside looking in, this is a, a former Prime Minister casually texting, serving ministers to get uh, movement on something that's ultimately going to result in personal gain. Of course, it's coming across as uh, sleaze. I think the, the, but this is only just uh, the tip of the iceberg. This is throughout the COVID pandemic. They've seen contracts given to Tory donors and uh, widespread cronyism. <clears throat> so I don't believe that uh, anybody looking at this would consider it as anything but uh, sleazy. And I think it's also particularly sticks in the throat um, of those people who, throughout the pandemic, have received 
received no support from the UK government and been unable to get a response or uh, communication from uh, Rishi Sunak or government ministers on their plight. There's, there's millions of them, somewhere, somewhere between two and a half and three million people have been excluded. And when they see that and they see this ongoing situation with the cronyism, uh, yeah, it can't be described as anything but sleaze. Now, I think in, particularly in Scotland, people are looking at that and saying, look, we want a choice of a different future. And that's why this election, if they do both, both votes SNP, we can uh, we can put in process the, uh, the, the mechanism to give them their choice to get away from this kind of Westminster corruption. Hmm. OK, sleaze is a great word, but it doesn't enlighten us much about the rules, about process, about consequences. And David Cameron has been found not to have broken the lobbying rules. So do you think the rules need changing? Well, I think the the fact that even though it's likely to be a whitewash, the fact that the government have said there should be an inquiry points to the fact. I don't think it's as clear as uh, as that that you've put forward there, Caroline. I think most people can see that any uh, independent review of this that was uh, conducted in a proper uh, public inquiry would uh, expose a lot more than we see on the surface. I, it, it just simply doesn't wash uh, with people that uh, this is in any way acceptable. And, you know, you, you put forward the question to me, does this, is this sleazy? Well, you, the answer has to be yes, and people will rightly judge this as a sleazy episode. But at the same time, I mean, you have to admit that it is important for business to be able to talk to politicians, for former politicians uh, to be able to mm-hmm. work afterwards. I mean, Alex Salmond, of course, went on uh, to work after bleeding uh, the Scottish government. Um, surely there has to be that capacity. How do you do it yeah. without it seemingly? Well, well, no, nobody would argue with that. And of course, you know, some politicians are elected, you know, and only serve a year or two because of different snap elections. And, you know, you wouldn't expect them not to have... Uh, future employment or indeed not to use the skills they've got. This is about transparency, it's about fairness, it's about having rules in place that make sure um, that it can't be abused. Nobody's saying you can't work. That would be ridiculous. But uh, but it has to be done in an open and transparent way where people can see uh, what's going on. You know, this is text text between mm. different ministers to try and sort out a favour for me is not the way to take it forward. Are the rules different in the nations and regions in Scotland, uh, in Hollywood versus Westminster? Well, uh, you know, I, I believe that, uh, you know, any meetings that have been conducted by, you know, Scottish government ministers, uh, you know, are recorded and transparent for uh, people to see. So yeah, I, I would say that, uh, you know, there is a robust system in place in uh, Scotland. I'm not entirely sure about Wales. I'm, I don't have much knowledge of their uh, their uh, parliamentary procedures there or Northern Ireland, but uh, there are definitely procedures in Scotland for ministers to be clear and transparent about the meetings that they're holding. So what do we need now? We need a, a full inquiry, a, an investigation, a royal commission. I mean, what would actually put people's minds at rest? Well, I think, you know, there have been calls for a public inquiry. I think we would uh, support that. I think it gets everything out into the open air and uh, allows, uh, you know, a proper examination. And no uh, hint, no, you know, accusation or anything of a whitewash, because if you've got people involved that have, uh, you know, what you might call skin in the game in, in the, the process with the Tory UK government, uh, you know, conducting, uh, you know, inquiries and so forth, then, you know, people can't be confident about that. Let's talk about um, another um, topic this morning. Uh, You've published the SNP manifesto for the Hollywood election. So I'd be curious to know um, what you're offering, what the main message is to voters. 
Well, of course, the manifesto is just being launched as we speak. Um, so I can't give you chapter and verse on it. But what I can tell you is what's been, uh, you know, brought out in advance to uh, let people know about what's going to be included in the manifesto is very exciting. I think the fact that, you know, there's a boost to NHS funding by 20% on top of, don't forget, record investment in Scotland in the NHS, a real revolution in childcare, extending childcare all year round, which is a, a massive help to, to people, free music tuition to all pupils. In Scotland, just going back to the NHS, we've uh, offered NHS staff a 4% pay rise, compare and contrast that to the measly 1% of the UK government. And of course, there are other things like renewing every play park in Scotland, free laptops to every pupil. And, and what I'm really particularly pleased about, which is doubling the child payment, which was even at £10 a week, it was for per, per child, it was described as a game changer by uh, support organisations. So doubling that is really going to be, you know, a, a, a major step in, in our ambition to, to eliminate child poverty. But, Drew, uh, it'll be no secret that something is going to be in there uh, on independence, on the push for another referendum. Uh, Realistically, um, if you're offering the Scottish people another choice, are you in a position to deliver it? Because it stands, at the moment, it's pretty clear that Boris Johnson has set his face against allowing another referendum. So you can't push for what you can't have. Well, you know, the, the choice for the people of Scotland is down to them. It's that they are uh, sovereign in this argument. And Boris Johnson or any other individual uh, can't stand in the face of the uh, public in Scotland if they vote uh, for a majority uh, independence uh, in Parliament, and especially if they vote for both votes SNP uh, to get majority SNP uh, government in place. There is you know, no uh, reasonable excuse uh, for Boris Johnson setting his face against that. And I think the international community, and, and don't forget, not only that, but I think the fair-minded people across the other nations of the UK would look very unfavourably on uh, you know, what would essentially be uh, trying to stand in the face of, uh, of democracy in Scotland. Mm, OK. Um, the issue then a couple of weeks ago, the IFS published a survey, published some work about the amount of money being spent in Scotland versus the UK. They found that um, spending per person in Scotland is almost 30% higher than the English equivalent. I, I mean, is that is that an argument um, for Scottish independence? Surely not. And surely it will also anger neighbours in England. Well, well, the thing is that when you look at the figures that these things are always based on, which are the so-called GERS figures, the General Expenditure and Revenue Scotland figures, if Scotland had been independent since those figures started, we wouldn't have any deficit at all. In fact, we'd have a massive surplus at the moment. So, you know, if spending, you know, has a bit of a seesaw in terms of sometimes it's a little bit higher in Scotland than uh, elsewhere, then that's just part of the, the fact of the matter. It's quite a ridiculous argument, and I think it's well past that sell-by date for people to say that somehow Scotland uniquely, when you look at all the other uh, countries that are either the same size or smaller than Scotland that are thriving uh, internationally, uniquely Scotland couldn't possibly support itself with all its natural wealth, its talented people and its resources. I I just don't think that argument really holds water anymore. And and frankly, it's a bit desperate if the unionists are trotting that one out in a desperate defence of, you know, what people in Scotland can see for themselves, which is 
poor decision-making in Westminster, bad decisions for Scotland being taken, and their uh, democratic uh, choices being ignored, such as the uh, vote over Brexit, where Scotland voted overwhelmingly to stay in the EU, EU yet was dragged out against its will. All right. Well, Drew, very briefly and finally, if you would, uh, ALBA, the party challenging the SNP, are there many Scottish people going to support them? What would impress you and what wouldn't? Well, you know, I'm very, very clear. If people want to get these policies that I've talked about just now, if they want to get uh, an independence referendum, if they want to make sure that they have their choice over their own future, then it should be both votes SNP. Clear and unequivocal about it. It's the best way to achieve that aim. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And we begin with bad news about travel, Caroline. Yes, the Times saying that holidaymakers arriving back in Britain are going to face queues of more than six hours if and when the rules on international travel are actually relaxed on the 17th of May. Now, apparently, travellers coming back are already experiencing really significant delays. So the chief of solutions at Heathrow Airport, that's Chris Garton, said yesterday that delays at border control were well in excess of two hours and up to six despite passenger numbers currently being a fraction of normal levels. But that is only likely to get worse, Roger, if we do even manage to get on holiday this summer. The Times adds that significantly tougher quarantine checks may also be on the cards. Oh, joy. Small children, long queues, back from holiday. What could possibly be nicer? Uh, But let's talk about passports. Not that sort of passport, though. A different sort of passport. A COVID passport, in fact which might apparently be illegal. Now, it seems that they might discriminate against people from disadvantaged or ethnic minority backgrounds, at least according to The Guardian, which has seen a recommendation from the Equality and Human Rights Commission to the government. Ministers are considering using vaccination certificates, of course, as a way of reopening the economy and society. In fact, they're now consulting about whether they should be obligatory for people who work uh, in care homes. Uh, You don't get a job there unless you've got one. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, on the Brexit front, Roger, the UK and the European Union are holding talks today aimed at trying to resolve the problems over trading arrangements for Northern Ireland. Lord Frost is travelling to Brussels to join um, to try to iron out the issues. The protocol is being seen as uh, the, the area that is problematic, blamed for the recent increase in violence in loyalist areas in Northern Ireland because they feel it has weakened their place in the United Kingdom. Yeah, and we heard a lot about that 
that from Bertie Hearn on this very programme, the former Taoiseach, former Prime Minister of Ireland, just uh, a week or two back. Uh, it clearly is still an issue that hasn't gone away. And finally, Politico have a great article out today entitled Project Love. It's Boris Johnson's plan to save the Union, apparently. They've spoken to the UK secretaries for Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and what it will take to keep things from falling apart. Uh, all this comes, of course, amid growing calls for Scottish independence, as we heard just now from Drew Hendry, violence in Northern Ireland over Brexit, which we've just mentioned, and also a surge of nationalist support in Wales. According to the Scottish Secretary of State, Alistair Jack, the Prime Minister will take his usual approach approach of aggressive optimism and a heavy splash of cash to counter the fast-growing pressures that threaten to break up the union. Mm, well, will that be enough? Uh, it would seem that Boris Johnson is right to focus on this because recent polling shows that 50% of Britons actually think that it's likely that Scotland will vote to leave the UK within the next five years. But with a nine-point lead now over Labour, can the Prime Minister use his popularity to turn the tide? Or are scandals like Greensill Capital set to derail the Tory rule? Joining us now is Adam Drummond, who is head of political polling at Opinium, Adam, thanks so much for being with us. So, look, first of all, the thumbs up for the government on the vaccine rollout. What about the pace of the easing of the lockdown? Because these are the kind of banner headlines that are propelling how voters are thinking about the government now. Yeah, the, there's an interesting contrast between now and when they and the equivalent in sort of May last year when... Um, last year, we had uh, lots of concerns about the unlocking being too quick and being too fast and restrictions being uh, eased too much. Whereas now, when we ask about, do you think that we're unlocking at about the right pace or too fast or too slow? Um, the most popular answer, normally about sort of 50 plus percent, say that it's going about right. So there's, there's definitely a different um, view as far as um, whether we're unlocking too quickly or too slowly. So it seems like the government has sort of learned their lessons after being stung last year, opening up too quickly and, a, and, and a visibly um, sort of taking it a bit more cautiously this time. Does the same then apply to all these uh, elements we're seeing being put in their vaccine passports? We talked about concerns they might not even be legal, uh, but also uh, all the people who want to go on a holiday, huge queues. I mean, these are the kind of things that people perhaps would say, yes, we think they're right when you ask them in their home and they're talking about feeling safe. But when it actually comes to the experience, maybe not. So the thing with the vaccine passports, and, and again, there's a question that we asked about, and we did two versions of this. One of them was like an international travel version, and the other was a domestic version. So to go to, um, yeah, to go to things like sports matches or theatres or pubs and stuff. So the international travel version, about two thirds of people are good with that. They like that idea. They support it. Um, whereas the domestic version, um, it's a bit closer. It's about 57% versus 23%. So um, the idea of having vaccine passports to move around and do things in the UK is less popular than the idea of having to have one to move internationally, but it's still more popular. And that's very much like consistent with generally throughout the pandemic, when we ask any kind of a question about, do you support this restrictive measure or that restrictive measure? The British public almost always come back with saying, yes, more restrictions. Yeah, so I find that really fascinating. I wonder whether that will hold in practice or how long it might hold for in, in practice. Um, but look, uh, the, the threats, though, are multiple, of, of course. I mean, Boris Johnson may be kind of riding high on the vaccine rollout, but Greensill Capital, how does that potentially affect Johnson and the Conservative Party? I mean, perhaps you haven't polled about that yet. I'm not sure. But, you know, it goes back and we've already heard the phrase from dating back to the 90s, at least, of sleaze. 
So you're right that we haven't actually asked specifically about that yet, but all of the, the government's popularity at the moment is entirely sort of vaccine-based. And what, throughout the pandemic, we've asked about how's the government handling the pandemic overall, how are they handling, and then different elements of it. So things like uh, PPE provision, uh, testing, financial support, and then now the vaccines. The picture with the rest of them has been fairly consistent. Financial support was quite popular, uh, but they thought that they were doing badly on things like testing and PP and various other parts of it. But the vaccine numbers have gone from quite positive to very positive. And uh, if you do like a chart of it, that is very clearly what has lifted the government's overall ratings on how they've handled the pandemic at the same rate. And that, I think, is very clearly fed into uh, the voting intention figures. So the question with things like Greensill is whether that um, starts to cut through. I've seen evidence mm. that, that it's, um, it's been followed by some people, but it, it hasn't necessarily sort of cut through to the majority of the public yet. That's an ongoing thing that we'll have to keep monitoring. Now, we mentioned when we were introducing you that uh, the issues about the breakup of the UK, potentially Scotland, potentially moving away. We just heard us say from Drew Hendry of the SNP, they clearly are pushing for a new independence referendum. We mentioned that uh, a large number of people, it seems, think it's likely that Scotland will vote to leave. But you've got a lot of other figures in there that are quite interesting about opinions regarding that. Just take us through some of that. This is So we've got two polls, basically. One of them is the UK... Uh, UK generally, and then another is Scotland specifically. So in the UK generally, we asked, um, do you think Scotland's likely to vote to leave the UK at some point? And yeah, you're right, there was um, something like 57% that they think it is likely. Um, admittedly, that's only 22% say it's very likely. Um, and it's mostly Conservative voters who are saying that it's unlikely. The thing that I've, I've noticed, though, um, the comparison between now and when we had sort of equivalent questions back during the independence referendum in 2014, it's not exactly the same, but it's quite similar. When we asked last time, we asked people in the rest of the UK, OK, how would you feel about Scotland becoming independent? You know, do you support this idea? Do you oppose it? And back in 2014, there was quite a strong figure in England and Wales and Northern Ireland saying, no, no, we'd like Scotland to stay part of the UK. Whereas the effect, I think, of what is it now, sort of maybe seven years of sort mm. of wrangling about this subject, I think has kind of numbed the rest of the population into more sort of acceptance of it. Um, mm -hmm. So when we asked this time, at a UK-wide level, 30% say they support the idea, 34% say they oppose it, and 27% are sort of in the middle and say neither. So okay. you have a much more sort of, OK, if that's what they want, then that's fine, view among the few people in the rest of the UK towards the idea of Scotland becoming independent. OK, perhaps a societal shift then when it comes to Scotland, who knows. Uh, let's move on, though, and, and talk also specifically about London, because you've got some polling on the mayoral race. We've been um, interviewing all of the candidates. Uh, what are Sadiq Khan's chances then of re-election? That's a key issue. Um, so I would be fairly astonished if Sadiq Khan wasn't re-elected. Um, it's interesting looking at the... The number of mayoral elections that we've had so far, because obviously the post was only established in, in I think, 2000, um, the first round vote share that the winning candidate got has ranged between sort of like 36% and 45%. In all of the polls that we've done uh, for this year's mayoral race, Judy Khan has been at or just above 50%. So the possibility of even winning in the first round. So I think it's it's really unlikely that um, Sadiq Khan will be out of a job uh, on the 7th of May. Um, I think the, the question is whether or not um, there's a possibility of him winning in the first round, which no longer mayor has ever done. But that's actually what's interesting is that sort of vote share is kind of 
it's not necessarily what you'd expect by looking at his approval rating among Londoners. So I think um, you could say that it's much more down to the fact that London over the years has become much more of a Labour-leaning city. Um, and, and so you needed to have a Conservative candidate back in the day, Boris Johnson, who could sort of reach across and, and bring in lots of, um, yeah, sort of floating voters in a way that uh, the current Tory candidates uh, largely can't. And I think it speaks to the fact that the Conservatives largely sort of vote off the London mayor election, um, yeah, back when they selected their candidate. And they possibly didn't, yeah, if they'd known that they would be 10 points ahead nationally um, at the time of the mayor election, they might have chosen a different candidate, might have taken mm-hmm. the race more seriously. But I think that's, that's definitely um, more to do with it than perhaps uh, Sidney Khan's uh, individual performance. Uh, and and the, the smaller candidates, if you like, the perhaps less likely ones, any of them beginning to show much in the polls? Not particularly, but then again, this is uh, one of the dilemmas of, of doing a polling for any kind of election is basically at what point do you start to show, uh, do you start to include people in your question or do you just let them come under the, the topic of other? So it's always um, a bit of a tricky one because showing a, a poll question that is exactly the same as the ballot paper um, tends to produce less accurate results than showing the main candidates and then having an other option. It's just a way that people interact with surveys and, and it gives an extra degree of prominence to uh, minor candidates, which they might not be getting generally. Um, but yeah. that is something we'll, we'll look at in our final poll. Um, but as I said, I don't really expect any of those to affect the final result. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.